I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run Hip Hop by the Numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element, why I highlight the Fifth Element Hip Hop, which is knowledge. I said my name is Kendrick Lamar. I changed the name because I was tired of being like you. And finally, I'm ready to tell the world who I am. But we ain't changed our name. It's still being. With 20,000 fucking downloads. Yeah. What are you saying? We fucking fucking saying. We fucking did it, bro. We've actually been going up. Gosh, we can can retire and be happy. (laughs) We can eat off this for the rest of our lives. (laughs) We can eat off 20k (laughs) downloads. Oh, gosh. Every time I think about that kind of thing, it's like, oh, we have a lot of this thing that means nothing. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it just reminds me of this like American Dad quote, where it's just like, "Oh, hello, yeah, I want to buy this ring. Can I put? Per- can I purchase it with love? No. What an odd policy." <laughs> Hi Ben, how's your week been? What have you been listening to this week? Well, you know what I've apart been from you know what I've been listening to, but I did get into some other music. I'm I'm probably not going to talk about the Kendrick album because there is, ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, there was other music, and and I got a little bit I got a little bit perturbed music. at Rap Caviar, for example, and Ooh, a couple of other accounts perturbed. who just said that uh, yeah, the only music that came out this week was Kendrick's album. There was actually other music that came out, believe it or not, and. Yes, it's okay to listen to other music when Kendrick drops. That's okay. So I listened to Yassine Toure, Puma. Now, this is a stunning, 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 stunning piece of music. It's set over the top of cascading and flourishing jazz instrumentals. And Yassine, who references Yassine Bey a couple of times on here, she just sounds like the modern-day poet laureate, you know, focusing on cultivating a sense of self and her place in the world, dissecting her own thoughts and her own actions, through deeply evocative lyrics. It's one of my uh, my favorite stretches on here is, is not necessarily when she's searching for a higher meaning or trying to speak a higher truth, but she's just expressing herself and her confidence. And the way that she does it, the words she weaves, the, the metaphors and images she conjures with her lyrics, pretty close to unmatched in anything I've heard this year, to be 100% honest. It's intricate and thought-provoking. If you're a creative person, the collages that she's stitching together with her words, it's going to make you pick up a pen and a pad and start writing because it is really motivating. It's inspiring. I love this record. You know, sonically, I think it's a breath of fresh air. It's not often an independent artist can capture such beautifully produced instrumentals and sound so imperious over the top of them. Definitely an album for people who love the production on TPAB, for example. Uh, love Dila, Tribe's first album, you know, Native Tongue stuff. This is just beautiful jazz rap. Really loved it. Uh, Black Youngster for Life. This album is, is fire, man. Every single song on this record hits. It's 68 minutes and a staggering 23 tracks. And I kept expecting it to lag or drag or get boring. But the quality he laces each song with, the power of the production is super solid, super solid. Definitely one of the best trap albums I've heard this year. Uh, I think this record and that album by Blockboy JB are going to be the underrated gems at the end of the year for me. I, I like this project a lot. Uh, like Life 47, Shape Up. I forgot how much I love Chitty Bang when it dropped a couple of months back. The first track on here 
And when it played, I'm like, oh, that's right. I fucking, that was in a heavy rotation. It immediately sets the tone for an album of fucking bangers, man. Straight up bangers. She's not reinventing the wheel. Most albums like this, I think, are carried by the personality of the artist because it's hardly a lane devoid of talent and artists, you know. Uh, there's plenty of artists and plenty of rappers trying to make this kind of music. But she's just, her personality just carries a secret service fucking slaps. If you play that on a decent set of speakers, you're going to feel the bass in your chest. She sits perfectly in the pocket on that song. Uh, it actually sounds to me like I genuinely thought Pharrell had produced that beat. Or maybe not 2022 Pharrell, but maybe like 2004 Pharrell. Like the, the Neptune's A-tier uh she has this really curious sonic technique it's most overt on chitty bang and new money where this short vocal sample is kind of looped and played throughout the whole track if you think about a millie for example you know a lot of people don't like that but i think when it's done well it creates this weird texture that i really love it's quite unique and it's not easy to do well but i think she does it really well the album kind of falters at tracks like done right where she's singing softly over a pretty generic r&b instrumental the very next track, Free to Love, kind of think it's going to be the same thing, but she intersperses bars throughout the song, which makes it really palatable. Solid project, man. It's a touch long, but I think everyone's going to find some tracks on there that they can add to their playlist. And finally, Onyx. Onyx versus Everybody. <sighs> I don't know how Onyx is still dropping fucking fire. So many. Like, what was their debut? It was like 94, 92, something crazy like that. It was ages ago. I need to look that up, but... Bro, this album, man, I sat down with it last night because uh, they dropped another project this year as well. And I mm. gave it a bit of time. I did give it a bit of time. Um, but then they dropped another project just then. Like, let's have a look at their discography. First album was 93. So they've dropped two albums this year. 1993 dropped in two, th- like this year. Onyx versus Everybody. This is the album that just dropped. They're, uh, bro, I mean, look. You know, a lot of people say, and a lot of people will criticize artists for not progressing or not maturing or whatever lens these people view the world in, like these listeners who are like, well, I've achieved self-actualization, so everyone else should go down the same path as me, and no one should still be rapping the same way they were rapping in the 90s. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Let Onyx rap the way Onyx want to rap, because it is fucking fire, and I'm all the way here for it. Straight fucking great album. Love Onyx. We'll always love Onyx. And uh, I love hearing him like this. So that was me, Charlie. What about yourself? Well, I also found stuff. Uh, <laughs> Stew and the bangers. <laughs> uh, well, there is a there, there are some bangers, um, quite literally, in name and in, uh, and in vibe. Uh, start off with uh, Mysie, um, M-Y-S-I-E. Uh, Joyride, the EP, uh, seventeen minutes, six tracks. I love the, I love especially of the title track. Um, Joyride is, is such a, such a nice little, ni- nice little swaying track. Very vibey. Um, gin and juice. Uh, after this, uh, 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 you don't know nothing. Just really good stuff. Um, in terms of just, uh, you know, solid that, you know that, uh, that. Class that not class below, but like um that you know that 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 little known like a uh, enclave of just like female artists right now um that are just dropping you know just a couple of EPs here and there you know what I mean just like getting, getting just getting their foot in the door so to speak and uh, Mizey is definitely one of those um on definitely on the list for me uh super super solid 
uh, Tank and the Bangers. There you go. Uh, Red Balloon. Um, God, I I remember I remember listening to the previous album. I forget what it's called, uh, but it's like it's like, it's got green, uh, green balloon. There you go, <laughs> blue balloon next. Um, but yeah, I remember listening to that and like just being you know solidly impressed about how um, just a uh, wide ranging uh, their music was. Um, they're based in New Orleans. Um, it's a four piece uh, band including Tank, who does the vocals and raps and stuff like that. Um, she's great uh, as an individual, but like it's the whole band element is just really solid um i remember being, being like you know just really impressed by the variety they had and uh this one red balloon just ups yanti for me and uh there's just so many just uh good stretches of tunes here uh who's in charge why try no id cafe du monde fuck me that four track stretch is so clean super super clean and then you have like easy easy goes it with Layla hathaway the queen um, Lena Hathaway, uh, and that's only that's only like less than two minutes. So I was really th- th- that that song just desperately needs to be longer. Um, you can add that to the stretch as well, to be honest. Uh, but then you have something like Big with Big Frida, and it's just like a super just New Orleans bounce track. It's just straight up New Orleans bounce. Um, but then you finish off with Where Do We All Go with again Lena Hathaway and uh, Jacob Collier, and that just uh, is an amazing finish. Uh, you got the Tones, uh, formerly the Hamiltones, headed by obviously Andy Hamilton. Um, they've renamed themselves now, and uh, that's not, they're on communion in my cup. Super, super solid. Um, and uh, Wayne Brady, for some reason, just starting off the album. Why not? Because I saw that. That was, that was great. That was that was fun. So that was that was awesome. fun. Just Wayne Brady, just like uh, yeah. Does, does Wayne Brady have to choke it? That guy. <laughs> it, was, it was it was very it was very charming. I liked it. It was good. Um, but yeah, Cafe Dumont is definitely just so close to being on my regular rotation i might 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 put it on my regular rotation uh definitely one of the songs of the year absolute tune uh ricky monique uh monique uh, uh what's it called good seeds um I'll, just another one just another great ep by female artists coming through um thirty nine thousand monthly listeners on spotify here and uh this is just a just a tasty tasty little ep right here nice little uh, nice uh, funky elements uh but you know solidly um you know just like a neo soul r&b kind of thing going on uh but you know she got she, she got some she got some performance on that as well so uh you know she's really good stuff all over that and uh especially like something like cereal and ruby just um oh, absolute bangers uh <laughs> fine i'll talk about it briefly uh kendrick lamar uh mr morale who hey, big steppers <laughs> so um for the purposes of time and for the purposes of um we're going to be talking about this um down the line so uh i don't want to talk too much about it but i'll give you my two overriding thoughts of when i initially listened to it and i've only listened to it once but the two overriding um thoughts i had towards it was uh one why why oh why why oh why oh why mm. is Kodak black on this album mm-hmm. I, I i just I, I that's a, that's a non-start for me honestly yep. like the dude and this is and this is the thing i saw a, i saw a tweet that actually kind of like nailed this right now you know i didn't listen to kanye's donda for a myriad of reasons partly just because i can't be asked anymore to like entertain it uh entertain him but you know people obviously some people didn't spin it specifically because he had like the likes of the baby and marilyn manson who you know, Marilyn Manson more specifically being uh, currently accused of uh, several um, harassment suits and stuff like that. And the baby just can't stop fighting, uh, fighting people in the street. Um, but 
you know, people were like, oh, why'd you have that album? Oh, I don't want to listen to it. It's not there, you know, da, 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 da. And that's fine, right? If you want to skip that track, they were, go for it, right? A little bit different when the dude, you know, is literally, literally uh, you know, admitted to rape. I, I, I struggle with that. I'm sorry. Like, that's, that's, that's a struggle. So, that was kind of the overriding thought I had towards that album. Um... And I forgot the second one. Uh, well, you know what it was? It was, pre- it was pretty much like I, <laughs> I find this al- album so not easy to listen to, and that's fine. You know, I literally talked about how you know Dave's uh, wellness together. You know, if you want to make it not listenable, like make it hard to listen to, like just make if you want to make it powerful, make it powerful. Um, and you know, Kendridge went okay. <laughs> I just went, went ahead and proved my point, right? So it's not replayable in in my sense. I feel honestly, um, first listen wise, it's probably the worst first listen uh, Kendrick album I've had. Um, yeah. So, but you know, first instances aren't everything. So take that where you will. But we will be talking about that um, down the line uh, soon. So don't just that's. But that was just my first initial thoughts. Um, but obviously, we'll get. Into the weeds later on. I mean, uh, a bong jr. If you some nights I dream of doors. Come again? No, 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 no. Continue. Sorry, no, no, not at okay. all. Okay, sure. Okay, <laughs> not all. Nothing at all. Okay. No. Um. Yeah, a bong jr. Uh, uh. Sometimes I dream of doors. I love me some bong jr. Like from a from a feature perspective. I remember listening to his first album. I forget the name, but it was um. You know, it was it was it was fine. It was solid. I can complain about it. Um. But uh, yeah, this this comes this this comes this gets uh, stronger and stronger as it goes like, as the album goes along. Um, you know, it starts off solidly. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of one of those people that um, an acquired taste on the voice. You know what I mean? Um, but starting off with try, it's a really solid start. But just the more it goes into it, wrong fruit of Nubaya Garcia on the sax, banging, can't miss with that. Um, but yeah, for stuff like New Man. And just gets increasingly just a you know sonics get increasingly just more uh, just just a little more spicy and I'm here for that and uh, you know he his and his performance is really interesting. Um, I really respect the fact that he doesn't do many features um, like on his albums. Obviously he he's a great featureist, but um, you know same with uh, every same with uh, which way is forward, which is his previous album. Um, nothing, no one on there, and uh, that was only 23 minutes. But this one's obviously a little bit more substantial at 35. But you know, apart from Nubaya Garcia, there's nobody else here, and that's actually really refreshing. I feel like that it really um, leads towards uh, um, him just relying on himself on that front. And uh, you know, he, conceptually, I feel like he he does he is very dreamy, he is very, uh, and his voice really does lend to a lot of uh, a lot of that. So um, shout out to him on that one. Uh, Kwale Chris, uh, Death Fame. Um, this is today while waking up. Um, so probably not the best. I was probably one in the best, like um, you know, you know, super critical way of looking at things. Um, I will say the production for me, while it is very very dynamic a lot of the time, it is kind of for better or for worse for me. Sometimes it works for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just uh, I'm just like, what's actually going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, lyrically, you know, super dense. Um, of course, you know, if you if you haven't spun Qualicris yet, and then, you know, it's, that's kind of what you get, just super dense shit. Um, but I kind of respect the fact that he, you know, in some songs he, you know, just left it and left the beat to just kind of, like, leave you. It was kind of, I felt, I felt like it was kind of like, um, 
you know when you're at like a you know a restaurant and you've got like a you know a couple course meal or whatever right three course meal four course meal whatever um i know i know you do that a lot ben obviously you know, indulge in a bold of you to assume that i have uh, enough money to go to a restaurant <laughs> but yeah continue. yeah of course of course you're always on that <laughs> always on the fine cuisine uh for, for uh, no no marmalade in his home um so <laughs> and uh, so you know it kind of felt like that where you know he just left the beat going um, after, you know, a really dense um, verse or whatever. And it kind of felt like that, you know, just a break between meals. I like, I liked that. I appreciated that side of things. Um, but yeah, man, um, you know, all the, all the, um, all the underground people were talking about it, you know, oh, Quality Chris is dropping. Uh, so, um, you know, good, good, good for you guys. And lastly, are, uh, Jeremiah Chiu and Marta Sophia Hona, uh, recordings from the Aland Islands. There's the, it's that A with the circle above it. So I don't know how to say that A, but I'm just going to call it Aland Islands just because I'm basic. Um, let me read you some of this, um, some of the description on Bandcamp because it's just it's just solid. Let me read you a couple of paragraphs. So he goes in. It starts off with in 2017, Jeremiah Chu and uh, Mara Sophia Hona traveled together to the Aland Islands, an archipelago that is host to around 6,500 islands in the Baltic Sea between Sweden and Finland. They head to the islands with the intention of helping two friends. Uh, mother, mother-daughter duo Janika and Sage Reed. Uh, barn raise, b- what? Barn raise a small inn named Hotel Svala in Kumling, a municipality consisting of a small group of islands and a population of about three twenty. The idea was that once completed, Svala would host various residencies and workshop programs, creating a direct link between the islands and USA. <clears throat> skipping a couple, skipping a couple more towards just, just, just how they describe the album. Just as two eyes, two ears, and two halves of a brain work together to create a memory, on their duo debut, Honer and Chiu's collective palette produces a vivid three-dimensional hyper-reality of painterly tones and textures, bright and kaleidoscopic, but with deeply warm, earthy, uh, earthen resonance. The music evokes a powerful sense of place, transporting and immersing listeners in the other world of the Aland Islands. And though they achieve this in beautifully natural, organic manner, Chiu and Hona agree this album is quite unlike anything they've made before, and likely unlike anything they'll make in the future. Um, put simply, is kind of like um, ambient vibes, um, but you know a little bit more layering on that front. Not completely um, ambient, but very, very calming. I practically meditated to this album. I listened to it. I was just chilling, so uh, you know it, it definitely can be done. Um, you know, so you got pianos, organs, uh, synthesizers, a bit of viola as well, and uh, other things. Uh, you know, flute on something like archipelago, for example. But yeah, it's just really, just a really great listen, and um, just a really calming listen. You know, it's eleven songs, forty-two minutes. Not exactly, you know, um, that time-consuming. It's not that long, um, but it's just really just a super solid listen and a really calming listen. And, uh, you know, unlike anything, you'll probably listen uh, this year, guarantee that. And with that said, we shall hop into our first of three parts on a retrospective on um, the one and only. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I saw a tweet a couple of, a couple of hours before, this, before we recorded um, saying like uh, Kendrick Lamar's chin in Ghana not spending a lick on marketing and having everybody just doing, you know, everybody arguing over it uh, while he's in Ghana chilling. I'm just like, and we're about to do a three-part retrospective on the motherfucker. <laughs> oh, gosh. If anyone's putting in effort, it's us. Jesus Christ. We are embarrassing, but here we are. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, man, I just felt... Um, 
I, I even I actually offered this before we even uh, before the album even came out. I think um, a couple of days before, I was just like, you know, do you feel like it's just probably a good time to just um, to just do it? And you know, since this is his last album under TDE, that was kind of like the angle I wanted to go down. The re- as to the reason why we're doing this, um, but obviously since the album dropped, it kind of just. Um, became uh essential to uh split into three parts and uh but yeah for this um first part we're gonna begin on well the beginning of course and you know it's not retrospective if you're gonna start at the end um we're gonna go from basically his mixtape days um you know pre-album pre-section AE, and uh, just explore those uh particular mixtapes because i feel like there's you know some people some people that have listened to not all the mixtapes, but some of them. Um, I have a few. I've had a few on my phone for years now. Maybe <laughs> for how long? Yeah, probably about seven-ish, eight years. However long I've, uh, since I've been six form. Uh, so yeah, you know, I've had I've had some of his mixtape stuff on my phone, and I've really enjoyed it. And some of them are still some of my favorite tracks um, in his discography. Um, but I never actually got into like you know the Hub City Threats and the C Fours, even though I was aware of those. Um, so yeah, we're going to explore some of those. Obviously, Ben's going to explore the backstory um, as best he can, and um, yeah. So with that said, Ben, what have you got for us today? All right, man. This is an interesting episode. The reason I wanted to look at pre-section eighty is because there's a whole lot of information about his albums and about section eighty through to, and maybe not even section eighty. There's not that much information on section eighty, but. I wanted to talk about the come up because Kendrick Lamar is comfortably one of the most secretive artists I've ever encountered in our retrospectives. And that's a big thing. You know, I would say Master Killer is number one, but I definitely (laughs) think Kendrick Lamar is in there because very rarely does he do press. And when he does, he's he's very measured and judicious with what he chooses to reveal. Not even Charlemagne the God could provoke him to stray from the demeanor that he wanted to portray. And, you know, that interview with The Breakfast Club nearly a decade ago, they actually got him to speak on his romantic life a little bit. And then Angela Yee said that Top told them not to bring it up. And that was in 20, I think 2012, 2013. So the image that he presents is carefully cultivated. Now, there's three angles to my storyline in this episode. The first is how reclusive he has been and how close he keeps his cards to his chest. There's no Combat Jack episode detailing his entire story from start to finish. There's no Drink Champs episode with Eddie the RC to trying to corner Kendrick into revealing compromising information. This is why tracks like Black the Berry take on a whole new meaning and had the internet scrambling for information on Kendrick prior to him becoming mm. Kendrick because he was K-Dot before he was Kendrick Lamar as an artist. Plenty of interviewers asked if he was gang-affiliated, for example, and Kendrick's answer is always the same. He isn't because his family and friends have played both sides across his lifetime, and the majority of them were fixated on his burgeoning rap career. Everyone wanted Kendrick to win, you know? Now, the second angle is, how did Kendrick go from rapping over Jay-Z and Lil Wayne beats and kind of morphing his voice and his content to match his influences? If you've heard his mixtapes, bro, there are tracks on there. There's, there's Biggie tracks on there. You're like, he sounds like Biggie. There's Wayne tracks on there. He sounds like Wayne. There's Jay tracks on there. He sounds like Jay. But then he became one of the most vital MCs in the mainstream in a few short years. And I um, I made a playlist for my partner recently, right? She hadn't heard Kendrick before. And I put that track Rhapsody on there. Uh, Power, I think it's called. And she didn't much like the Rhapsody part. I put a Rhapsody song on later and she, she loved that. But Kendrick was on it at the end. And she's like, oh, I love his voice. It is so distinct. It is so unique. She's like, I've never heard anything like it. And it's crazy to think. 
that by 2012, he sounded completely different to how he sounded in 2010, 2009, 2008. And we're going to talk about that. And thirdly, the third angle is the origin. How did this all start? Now, from the jump, Kendrick was exposed to absolute legends. Around the age of eight, he was actually on set for California Love, the legendary Park and Dre collab- collaboration. Yeah. He, he was on. He was on set for that. Uh, you know, his introduction to hip hop came way earlier than that. He told an interviewer, "I was told the day I came home from hospital, my pops was playing Big Daddy Kane. From that day, I was born. Music's always been around me." From oldies to regular 90s R&B to hip-hop to gangster rap, I can go from the Isley Brothers to Tupac. My mums and pops, they partied every Friday with everybody over. I've got tons of uncles and cousins just drinking, smoking, having tons of fun. It makes you grow up fast. Now, in 1984, before Kendrick uh, was born, his parents moved from L.A. to Chicago, and Kendrick was born in Compton in 87. Now, Kendrick told Paul Cantor his parents partied every Friday, but they were enmeshed in the streets, and they couldn't escape in while they were in Chicago. He says he feels blessed that they stayed together and he kind of intimates that they did it for him, you know, to kind of give him as a stable upbringing as possible. He told Rolling Stone in 2017 this, from what my family tells me, I carried myself as a man. That's why they called me Man Man. It put a stigma on the idea of me reacting as a kid sometimes. I would hurt myself and they would expect me not to cry. That put a lot of responsibility on me, got me ready for the responsibility my fans put upon me, which is essential when we finally get to Mr. Morale in about eight months' time. I ended up with tough skin too, even with criticism. Now, this maturity came from being around older people. At seven, he was playing football with kids twice his age. He credits his father with instilling him in a sense of maturity and the ability to deal with his emotions in a healthy way. He told Rolling Stone, When you have a father in your life, you do something. He'll look at you and say, what the fuck is you doing? Putting you in your place, making you feel this small. That was a privilege for me. My peers, their mothers and grandmothers may have taught them to love and care, but they couldn't teach them that. And obviously, that takes on a huge new meaning when we listen to his new album, when he talks about the issues that he had with his father and how he feels about that. Now, we know, of course, from his lyrical... uh, his lyrics that his formative years were not free from trauma at all and violence. It was tough, man. The Guardian published an article in 2015 that claimed Kendrick in the sorry that claimed in the year that Kendrick was born, 1987, Compton was actually the deadliest city in California. At age five, Kendrick witnessed his first murder. A teenager killed outside his building. He told Rolling Stone, "After that, you just get numb to it." At age eight, he saw a drive-by at a fast food restaurant, the same place he name drops on DNA. Uh, Kendrick told Rolling Stone, eight years old, working, walking home from McNair Elementary, dude was in the drive-thru ordering his food, someone ran up, boom, boom, smoked him, and bro, that is at the age of eight, the age of fucking eight, so according to that same Guardian article, Kendrick's parents were both Black Panther activists, although in an interview with uh, Sam Chenault, Kendrick actually says, my parents don't come from the Black Panther side of Chicago. They believe in certain things, but they were just trying to maneuver through the cracks. Now, Rolling Stone piece claims Kendrick's father was in the Gangster Disciples, and Kendrick's mother actually gave Kendrick's father an ultimatum. She said, I can't fuck with you if you ain't trying to better yourself. And that's when they decided to move from from Chicago to Compton. Now, most retellings of Kendrick's early life just... If you listen, if you go on YouTube and type in Kendrick's early life, there's this Rolling Stone article that I'm quoting from heavily. People will just read it word for word, put their name on it, and be like, look at all this research I did. All right, that's fucking, I don't like that at all. I don't I don't fuck with that. But I do want to fixate on it because 
We know how essential Kendrick's parents were to his story through Good Kid Mad City. You know, the heart-wrenching skits on that album delivered by his parents as they grapple with wanting to keep Kendrick safe, but also wanting to cultivate and encourage his independence, which culminates in a really fucking harrowing ending to the track Real. And as a side note, Real is one of his best songs. I don't give a fuck what anyone says, just put it out there. But It's just the- a hook. That's all it is. Relax. It's a bit it's a bit wank, but yeah, you know that, that just that it's just that. that. The rest you of it's great. The rest you, of it's great. I love I'm, the beat. I love the beat, but yeah. I fucking love real. But at the end of that track, hearing that voice message from his mum, if that doesn't choke you up, I'm not sure what will, because it's clear that Paula Duckworth was a deeply powerful and influential individual to her family. When Kendrick's parents moved to Compton, they were really struggling. They were sleeping in cars and motels, but slowly through minimum wage jobs, they started to find their footing. Kendrick was born, and, you know, one of his earliest memories, he said, is the South Central riots in 1992. Like, you know, if, if we're going to speak on how Kendrick became the most vital MC in the game right now, we have to begin with his parents, because their willingness to share in this journey and impart upon him the knowledge that they've accrued in their life is essential. In the 2015 Rolling Stone piece, they're actually with him, adding flourishes to his story. This stanza from that article I thought was fascinating. It says, his dad had a job at KFC, but at a certain point, says Lamar, I realized his work schedule wasn't adding up. It wasn't until later that he suspected Kenny was probably making money off the streets. They wanted to keep me innocent, Kendrick says now. I love them for that. To this day, he and his dad never discussed it. I don't know what type of demons he has, Kendrick says, but I don't want to bring that shit up. And then his dad chimes in and says, I don't want to talk about that bad time, but I did what I had to do. And he was there, man. He was there in this interview. I, I really liked that. And Kendrick was always described as the quiet one, the observant one, the one who would sit in the corner with his eyes peeled and taking in his surroundings. He was surrounded by people who were deeply linked to the kind of things he was seeing in his community. Riots, murders, violence. The tragic roots of systemic oppression were wrapped firmly around him from a very young age. The tr- like seeing, seeing Park and Dre in his neighborhood, that lit that fire within him, man. This is the same fire that we've seen so many times in these retrospectives. I could do that. And, bro, that was just, yeah, that was that was a powerful moment for him. So I want to pause here, Charlie, if you have anything to, to react to with that early, early life, especially his parents. <laughs> yeah, I, I think on that front... Um... I feel like that that is that is a experience that is rarely no no that is um that is a uh, a common thread for a lot of people. Um, I feel uh there was a uh, there was a interview slash like you know just chit chit chat or what I listened to on a pod recently, and um basically it was about this um author um uh, Davis Den- David Dennis Jr. and he just recently wrote a book with his dad. And his dad was uh, part of the Panthers. And uh, uh, the host, uh, Bamani Jones, asked him, because um, they're in similar, you know, uh, age and uh, and uh, uh, in similar circles in that front, in similar experiences um, pertaining to their parents. And uh, he asked him about, um, in writing the book, did you ask, like, really, you know, deep questions or, like, really specific questions on this or this or this? Um, and he basically said no because um, you know why? Uh, if if he if he if he hasn't if he's not going to tell me, I'm paraphrasing. This is not probably what he said, but this is what I gleaned from it is that you know if you 
you feel like you want to ask those kind of questions, but since they haven't, since they rarely talk about that time, it's probably worth not even bothering, or you don't feel like you want to encroach on that. Is it is it encroach or in yeah encroach yeah encroach. Um, encroach on that? Um, so I feel I feel that on that sense. Um, you know, I don't I don't I don't think my dad did anything bad back in the day. Um, but uh, those those are why this is why those is why those uh, when they tell you stuff like that from you know their childhood or whatever, and they regardless if it's good or bad when they tell you, um, it just feels very uh important and it feels like a lot of um and it feels like a lot of weight and uh you know obviously you know uh, duckworth as a track is obviously a big um a big uh you know look here for for example uh kind of uh thing uh, towards that particular relationship between him and his dad um but uh yeah it's uh, the 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 father-son dynamic and just the parents dynamic and uh you know, having parents that were through that kind of thing um, is always is always interesting uh, to think about, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, especially when we get to Mr. Morale and we look at that track where he talks about his relationship with dad. I'm going to be really interested to look into that and uh, mm. do some research around that. But, you know, whilst Kendrick's first love was basketball, uh, his dreams of making it into the NBA were kind of scuppered as his height didn't really match his enthusiasm. You know, he was 5'6". Yeah, it's was, was a bit rough. But there had to be another way. There had to be another way. So in seventh grade, his English teacher uh, introduced him to poetry, and he was deeply hooked. Kendrick told Rolling Stone, you could put all your feelings down on a sheet of paper, and they make sense to you. I like that. Didn't keep him out of trouble. And it's during high school that we essentially got good kid Mad City, and thus his entire career so far. Um, he was a straight-A student, considered going to college, but by this stage, she'd fallen into the habits of the neighborhood that he lived in, robbery, home invasions. He was living the experiences he raps about on Good Kid, Mad City. This section from that Rolling Stone piece is pretty dark, and I'll read it. I'll quote it. Once his mum found a bloody hospital gown from a trip he took to the ER with one of his friends who got smoked. I don't know why they keep saying the word smoked. Uh, Another time, she found him curled up crying in the front yard. She thought he was sad because his grandmother had just died. I didn't know somebody had shot at him, she said. One night, the police knocked on their door and said he was involved in an incident in their neighborhood and his parents, in a bout of tough love, kicked him out for two days. And that's a scary thing, Kendrick said, because you might not come back. Now, naturally, Kendrick is tight-lipped about this period of his life and can draw whatever conclusions you want from tracks like Black of the Berry. Kendrick only ever reveals what he wants to reveal, but his run-ins with police were typically and sadly charged with negative energy. When he was 17, a cop pulled a gun on him. When Kendrick's friend Moose was pulled over and couldn't find his license quick enough, Kendrick said, I remember driving off in silence, feeling violated, and him being so angry a tear dropped from his eye. This tight lip technique comes up again when he speaks of the second time a a cop pulled a gun on him. He said he only says that he was in the wrong, but he was just a kid and he was running away. Now, Kendrick's friend DT was actually killed in 2007 by police. He tells Rolling Stone all this began to fuel a fire within him, one that just kept rearing up when he was confronted with the injustices of the world. Kendrick's formative years were, they were adrenaline-fueled, man. They were, they, were, they were charged with fear, sparked and maintained, of course, by the conditions his community were forced to exist within. He tells Rolling Stone most of his friends were in gangs. He describes Black of the Berry as a song about gangbanging, 
Uh, it was his mom again who offered sage words that helped him change his path. He said his mom always told me, sorry, he said, my mom always told me, how long are you going to play the victim? I can say I'm mad and I hate everything, but nothing really changes until I change myself. So no matter how much bullshit we've been through as a community, I'm strong enough to say fuck that and acknowledge myself and my own struggles. And uh, that echoes, it's institutionalized, I think, where that, that refrain is, um, you know, shit don't change until you get up. And he told Rolling Stone from that preschool to grade 12, there wasn't a solitary white person in his class. Until the mid-2000s, he had barely left Compton. You know, by the time he began touring, if you listen to interviews from around this time, this is what's crazy to me. He already knew exactly what direction he wanted his career to go in. He just wasn't sure how to manifest it yet, which is to say the entirety of the last 11 years of Kendrick music came from his teenage years in Compton. I just I find that so fascinating. This is the joy of Kendrick Lamar's, the pain, the connectivity. These pre-fame and pre-rap years formed him into the one of, one of the greatest voices hip-hop has ever seen. What he experienced and observed sparked him to start deconstructing the why rather than the what. And still in these teenage years, you could not foresee what he would become. But seeing Dre and Park at that music video sparked something. You know, he actually had a stutter when he first started rapping, when he was nervous. But he began to rap. He told, he told The Guardian, it was always the phrases, the wittiness, the clarity, how you manipulate words and make them mean other things. I practiced the wording for a long time before I got the delivery down pat. I couldn't be as, as intense as I can be now. And he began, obviously, how so many others began, rapping on street corners to anyone who would listen. His love of rap, he says, saved his life. He told The Guardian, it was the counterweight to peer pressure. Whenever I wasn't on the streets with my friends, I was in the studio. It was something that kept me out of trouble. So my mom would let me stay out till four in the morning because she knew I was doing that. And then it's through this and through this like this, uh, this desire and this drive, in grade 10, we get his debut mixtape. Charlie, if you want to talk about that. Ah, uh, yes. <clears throat> Good old Hub City threat. Um so yeah, it's a uh, it's I think it's a uh, 04, I think that's a specific year. Um and um it becomes very very quick if very clear very quickly uh when you spin it if uh, for those that haven't spun it. Um I, I you know, I recommend, you know, spin everything, you know what I mean, in life, you know, just give it give everything a go. Um just to see if you like it or not. But um this is uh yeah, this is very uh just uh how would i word it it's kind of just one of those it's a very childish mixtape in some way where it's just more, more in like maturity sense where he's i mean like you said uh, nearer to the beginning that <clears throat> in his um in in terms of finding his voice um this was clearly this is clearly one of those uh, mixtapes where yeah i just want to rap like the people i like um so you know literally the intro it's called intro brackets hover songs <laughs> and there's a uh, uh how we do uh obviously you know based on the uh, 50 cent track and it goes off that particular beat as well drop it like it's hot going off the snoop track um biggie's the last track uh 11 uh, a feature from freeway and joe budden funny enough um which is yeah, that was wild that was uh, yeah that's, that was just I interesting feel like, i feel like Fre- they must have been just verses that he lifted from somewhere, right? Like, how did he get short? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess so. But, uh, you know, regardless, uh, I, I like the freeway verse. Freeway goes off on that. Um, 
But yeah, this is very, this is, um, yeah, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, the greatest thing ever, obviously. He's, at this point, he's 16 years old. Um, so he, it is basically just one of those mixtapes where they just go, brace yourself, Ben. They go other, they go over legendary beats. Okay, I know you, go, I know you hate that. You're I know you hate, hate me. that. You're going to hate me, but I'm going to say I fucking love listening to Kendrick rap over these beats. I don't know. Like, yeah, I know. I can't, look, I Charlie, can't fucking look win with you, bro. I can't fucking win. I literally can't win with you. Unbelievable. Jesus Christ. <laughs> literally fucking oh. 180 from last time. Oh, my God. I know. As soon as Homer's song comes on, I'm like, oh, here we go. We're going to get into this. And I text Charlie. I'm like, I'm this so kid. excited to hear him over the Carter 3. I just want to hear him. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a walking contradiction, man. You are a walking contradiction, piss taker. Um, well, uh, as a recommendation, this um, it, it doesn't feature um, on any of the mixtapes on Dat Piff, especially. But um, uh, there is a there is a six seven freestyle, um, literally called six seven freestyle, based off uh, six foot seven foot, um, where it was literally Kendrick and uh, J- and uh, Schoolboy Q. Um, so if you want to, if you guys want to go spin that, it's a heater. Um, especially, uh, especially Q in my mind, like Q just goes in with like, just like with the full clip, just banging. <clears throat> and actually, Kendrick has some good, vi- uh, good, uh, good flow on that one. That's actually really good. But yeah, Hub City Fret. Um, yes, yeah, it's Kendrick is sixteen years old. Um, he's rapping over, you know, just um, legendary beats in some in in a lot of cases. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, lyrically, it's um, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to you know describe it. It's it's, it's um, you know, it's this good old um, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, uh, mixtape lyrics uh, and uh, stuff like that. It literally, um, what's, what's this one from? Uh, Drop it like it's hot. Um, uh, uh, gecko or Geico, whatever it stands for. Red and blue flags. Yours are like a rainbow. Ha! Pants hang low. Born with the best flow since LL was rocking a Kango. That's actually quite good. Eight, eight, seven, one man, eighty weapons. I go hard without using protection. Hard out, learn your lesson. When I pull out. Make like R. Kelly get the stepping. <laughs> I'm the best in this profession. I can't help but bring it back to the essence, motherfuckers. So yeah, didn't age well on that one. <laughs> but it's still, I mean, in 04, that would have hit. <laughs> it would have hit. It would have hit. Um, did you find anything on Concrete Jungle Music, by the way? Um, Concrete Jungle Music. Yeah. So that was the label. Um, it came. It came no. out. Uh, came out of. I'm just gonna look it up right quick. See if it comes up with it. One thing I will say. One yeah. thing I will say about Freeway and Joe Budden is that uh, he was signed to Def Jam. We'll talk about it in a second. But they might have actually been verses. So he was signed to Def Jam before TDE. So I'll talk about it when we get to it. But they might have okay. actually been verses that because Freeway and Joe Budden would have both been signed to Def Jam, obviously in 04. So maybe mm. that was they were they were bespoke verses yeah i mean if anyone's a freeway nut or a joe budden nut you know hit, excuse me hit up genius um see if you see any uh see any bars that have been reused DM, or whatever i'll dm but, um, joe i'll dm joe <laughs> yeah hit up, hit, hit up your man joe hit up, <laughs> hit up your mate man, man bud um but even uh, let me let me spit this freeway but, uh, like this is for the g's this is for the hussers for the hussers now back to the g's now that, that actually comes back um for um joe and I think Kendrick does it as well. So I like I like when I like when those kind of songs happen where they start off with the same couple of bars and then just like go where they want. 
Free packed intro, tech with a muffler, bring it on you busters, watching niggas flee, he's making off a killing, making a killing off putting his life on Pro Tools, the new school, the rap version of Aaron Jones, the hair on the bones, uh, to rock Jane, to cocaine, to spit game, to get us, say get tucked, niggas go, don't get gassed up, might get blasted up, it's good, there's some, there's some gems here, um, lyrically, um, but kind of just, it, the whole essence of the, of the, uh, the mixtape itself is literally just like, you know, just, um, I'm just going to go over some beats that I may or may not be allowed to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's a mixtape and it's 2004. So, Shout out Kendrick. I fucking love... Uh, I just love those 2000s mixtapes. can't believe you just so, 180'd on me like that. Fuck's sake. Pissed off. Look, Top Dog comes into the story here. Uh, you'll yes. obviously recall many instances where rappers say that the studio saved them. Maybe the most famous, of course, being Riz's Basement. Oh, man, Riz's Basement saved a lot of people. The top's origins aren't spoken about often enough. I don't, I don't, you know, they're really fascinating. He told Billboard this. They did this huge interview, Kendrick and uh, and Top, and Top said, "Growing up in the era of the gangster shit, a lot of my friends were getting killed. A lot of friends were in the pen. I got shot. When I got with the TDE artists, it was up to me to show them something different, to lock them in the studio and make them build a bond as brothers and struggle a little bit. Me, me being in my streets all my life, I judge people pretty good. J Rock is from my hood." I was chasing him around and he hides, thinking I'm trying to discipline him about some bullshit. I finally catch him while he's getting a haircut. I said, yo, you rap, I'm trying to do this shit, let's go. Dave Free was a computer dude. He came to fuck with my computer and played Kendrick's music. These dudes, they were hungry, they wanted to win. This is a critical part of the story because why do you think TDE has that family energy? A lot of people talk about TDE being a family, but no one talks about why and how it was cultivated. You know. I have no idea what's going on behind closed doors at TDE right now, but these artists came up together. Kendrick told an interview the reason he's so tight is they slept on tour buses together. You know, they shared dollar menu meals together. They came up together and it was Top who facilitated and motivated and orchestrated all of this. Now, Top's uncle was involved in music and apparently he was working with uh, Silky Fine and Rome and this spurred Top to see music as a viable option outside of the street and he told Billboard, that shit looks super easy. When this goes bad, then I'm going to do that. I built my studio seven years before I even fucked with music. He had that. He still was involved in what he was involved in for seven years while he had that studio. He says, once this shit got super hot, they swept my neighborhood and I had that plan ready to go from here to there. Now, if we go back to Kendrick, he told Paul Cantor, DMX's first album inspired him to start writing rhymes. And he went about studying the history, Nas, Biggie, Jay, Park. Obviously, he recorded that debut mixtape locally on the cheap, and he released it when he was in 10th grade. But before Top, there was Def Jam. That's what I just said, man. Believe it or not, Kendrick was signed to Def Jam in 2004 when Jay-Z was president of the label. Might have been 05, actually. Now, Kendrick says to Hip Hop DX, I don't even think Jay remembers that. This is when I was, like, first turned 17. So, I mean, that would be 2004. He said, Kendrick says, I remember coming out here for a meeting and I was too excited. All I remember was Jay walking in the room. Yo, what's up? And walked back to the elevator and we we're like, damn, that's Jay. So he doubles back, goes back to his office next door and he's playing my music. Put me in the studio and that was one of those first situations where I wasn't ready. And Kendrick calls it a development deal. And he said, nothing materialized from it because he just wasn't anywhere near ready yet to, uh, to manifest that opportunity. But that first mixtape is how Top found him. 
in Kendrick's own words, it got the attention, me just doing the legwork, just 300 copies and spreading it out through the city, wanting to be heard. A mutual friend gave Top Dog my music. That must have been Dave Free, the CEO of Top Dog. The day I met him, he threw me in the studio. I freestyled for two hours. He saw I was worthy. I was young too. I was kind of nervous. I played him a few records. He saw I had an ability to write song and melodies and it was on. Now, hugely important to this story, of course, is J-Rock. Now, we've spoken about him before on this pod. Top mentioned him in the quotes above. J-Rock was meant to be what Kendrick became at TDE. And I want to explain that because Kendrick met J-Rock simply because it was ordained. You know, this classic Kendrick quote comes from Origins of Excellence Part 1. He says, I know I ran into J-Rock a couple of times because I went to school in Compton, a high school called Centennial, and J-Rock used to come up there and beat up dudes. (laughs) So J-Rock just used to rock up to high school, beat people up, and that's how Kendrick found out about him. And Kendrick continues, it just so happened we was in the studio that I had went to one day, fell in, we did our record like the next day. Now J-Rock tells a similar story, saying that he knew Kendrick through high school and had heard his music pass around through mutual friends. Now Kendrick and J-Rock signed to TDE just weeks apart and Top became the most influential person in their lives, especially Kendrick. He speaks on how deeply essential it was to have that free studio time, not to have to worry about time limits, to be free to make mistakes, to experiment, to work on different sounds. There was no pressure on the TDE artists. They could come and go as they pleased. And that's when we get training day and no sleep till New York City, if you Oof. want to speak on those two Oof. those two tapes, Charlie. Oof. Um, yeah, so training day especially, um, starting off with that. Uh, yeah, this is probably one of the best uh, mixtapes out of the bunch. Um, there's just some really really good stuff like this is the first this is the first first song one shot kill uh, first verse right just to, just just think about like in this case uh this dropped in 2005 so literally just you know space of a year right this, this all happened in the space of a year i say thinking of a master plan motherfucker i'm a mastermind i'm an 18 year old dollar sign i'm a one-man tragedy i'm columbine i'm sharp as fuck but no porcupine penitentiary blade to cut your ass up, look good looking hunk, good looking for anybody that's looking for me, shotted looking right in the eye, what do I see, a scared nigga waiting to die, a scared nigga, I even got you suit and tie, something suitable, sledgehammer break down your nail cuticles, nigga I do the unusual, <laughs> it just goes on and on and on, this is great, it's, it's, it's so great, and uh, yeah, this, I think I think if I remember correctly, that's based on, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, think of a master plan. I think the the song of the music there was a uh, was a uh, um, paid in full. Uh, the Eric B and Rakim joint, obviously. Um, but yeah, even even with that, you know, who shot your freestyle? Obviously, based on who shot you. Um, but then you got stuff like Good Morning America, which is one of my favorite tracks. I love that one. Blow them horns with punch is great. G's and Hustlers with J-Rock, great. That's a great stretch of tracks right there. And then you have a uh, shout out to DJ David, DJ Ill Will, um, throughout the throughout these throughout this era because um, they 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 feature a lot um, on this as well. Uh, a really big highlight for me is uh, the J Dilla freestyle with J-Rock and Punch. Uh, they're rapping on the players. Beat. Shout out to Punch. Yeah, shout out to Punch. Um, asking questions on Twitter and never actually ask, uh, making his opinion known. Uh, which is, which annoys the hell out of me. Um, but yeah, if, uh, here's a punch. Here's a punch of us right here. I'm still lost in my own zone in the living room, like I'm dead to the world playing Donny Hathaway. Patron shots I consume, taking the pain away. Each sip bring me closer to my doom. Sun shining bright through the crack in the blind. 
thinking to myself this morning what happened to time is passing away the world decides it ain't what used to be everything i love don't mean what it used to mean for example spitting a 16 no frills feeling numb like i'm off i'm up I'm off Thorazine. It's just, yeah, Punch goes off on this one in particular. Um, really hot track. Um, so, yeah, uh, the the entire just um, EP, uh, not EP, the entire mixtape is just uh, really good. And there's like these interview with DJ Dave Pass as well that kind of cuts it up as well. Um, last few tracks, especially for me, Dreams with Punch again. Best Rapper Alive in Imagine with J-Rock and Punch. Really, really solid tracks. Um, I'm trying to figure out which one I should pick. I mean, she probably should be best rapper alive since, um, you know, it's obviously kind of the, kind of the, 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 with the, with the name and such. But yeah, there's, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in here. There's a, there's a ton of in there. I think it's like six minutes, the track itself. Um, but yeah, running them ghetto streets, I ain't cooking up nothing. Uh, but I got the tea kettle on side of me. That's metal on side of me. I dare you to follow me. I'm double daring you to follow me with the drama bees. Mama in debt, so you can't pay the funeral fee. So wherever them candles at, the, that's where the funeral be. Kids don't get sleep guns keep them up real late walking the school shells laying on the concrete take them to school show and tell for that final grade she gave him an f i say that young boy deserve an a i'm tiger woods with a gun in my car i keep one in my car and i keep a bitch with implants so she keep one in her bra boom uh <laughs> shit make room for the little bastard the flyest nigga you've seen on the centennial campus the eight ball tucked in my jeans while i'm getting patted down they don't know i had it on me stupid security it's just really, um, you know, uh, just uh, digging into like um, high school kind of vibes. And uh, yeah, it's really, really vivid storytelling. And uh, this is probably the first instance, the first mixtape of that instance where you're getting that vivid storytelling from Kendrick. Um, and it's really just, yeah, that, that whole track's really good. And um, yeah, stuff like Dreams as well. Um, really great stuff all around. <clears throat> and for the uh uh oh gosh, I need to look that up right quick, hang about <laughs> just, just go back. And find the things. I'm gonna be cut. Oh yeah. Shout out to Dwayne Wade, by the way. Randomly, um number number eight on top training day scholars on genius. Don't know why. Um NBA legend. Wade. NBA legend, Dwayne Wade. It's like Come on down, brother. Like I, t- <laughs> I, t- I, like I don't know why he's on there, but uh, yeah, that's a that's just a uh, that just came out of came out into my head. I was just like, huh. I guess I shit. Shout out to Dwayne Wade. It actually says it's Dwayne Wade. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, basketball player and all that stuff. So, so yeah, shout out to him. Um, yeah. So, uh, no sleep to NYC. Um, I feel like it's probably just a little uh, less to me personally. I don't know why I'd feel lesser to it, but um, you know, it has a you know, Des presidents with Absol. It ain't hard to tell. It's kind of more of the you know, more of the mixtape vibe going on. It's not as just. It's, it doesn't have the conceptual um uh nuggets that uh that training day has um it doesn't have that storyline uh coming through for for most of the tracks and the storytelling it's kind of just another mixtape of you know here's some beats here here's some bars you know kicking the door with punch you know what that is right you know halfway crooks with punch you know what that is um yeah, so you know, it's kind of the it's kind of um a a a lot a bit of a better version of Hub City Threat. Let's just call it that. Um, no suit to NYC, and um, you know, you were talking about obviously J Rock, and we mentioned this. Um, I think worth mentioning. Um, at this time, 
you know, J Rock was probably like just pound for pound the best out of the out of the squad here that we have. Um, he he was just like incredibly consistently solid, um, and uh, I feel like he probably in in terms of not to make it a retrospective about him, but it's very interesting seeing him seeing Kendrick like you know co- constantly slope upward. Um, at, well, con- I wouldn't say constantly that we're getting we're getting a C four next, so bit of a dip <laughs> to not to foreshadow. C four is a dip, okay. Um, and uh, you know, and then J Rock is kind of just he's just he's 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 on a good level. But he's constantly on that good level, and I, don't, I, you know, apart from a few tracks here and there, uh, I don't think he ever like you know rose up in that trajectory that Kendrick has, which is kind of interesting to think about. But um, yeah, at this point, J Rock is just like really fucking good. <laughs> like he's just he's really he's got some good shit, and uh, it's no surprise that you know people at that time thought he was he was the next one, he was the next guy up, um, in terms of West Coast and uh, LA uh, hip hop. So um, yeah, but. Yeah, no two percent MYC solid. This um, it's another you know just mixtape with some legendary bo- uh, beats on it, which Ben loves apparently. Apparently, mm. well, I mean, look, the J Rock thing is going to make perfect sense in a second because TDE started to try and shop their artists around this time. They signed a partnership deal with Asylum for J Rock, and he began to build his buzz, dropping freestyles, opening for local acts. Uh, Kendrick was his hype man during this time on stage. Uh, obviously, J Rock and Kendrick dropping that collab tape in two thousand and. All of this grind paid off when J-Rock grabbed a Lil Wayne feature for his debut single, All My Life. Now, 2008 Lil Wayne is the biggest rapper in the world. He is the biggest rapper. I don't care what anyone says. You can say what you want, debate it, whatever you want to say. Debate your mama. living through through 2008 in Australia... No one knew anyone other than Little Wayne. He was everywhere. He was he I think he did like 70 or 80 features in 2008. He was fucking everywhere. And to get Little Wayne, you know, th- uh, this is a moment that Kendrick actually points to as being pivotal in his own development. He's told multiple interviewers that this was the moment that they all realized things might actually work out. But sadly, Asylum merged with Warner and the major label dream really died for a while. J-Rock was shelved and it was really devastating. His career completely stalled to the point where when he was included in the 2010 freshman list, the label wouldn't even pay for his flight to New York City for the photo shoot. They wouldn't pay for it. So he was on the back burner. As soon as Warner took over, they didn't have any time or energy or money for him. Now, his debut album came out as a partnership with Tech 9 Strange Music. Strange. And J-Rock was the artist that topped through his, his might behind. It was J-Rock who was meant to play that role that Kendrick came into in 2012, but it sadly wasn't to be. And Kendrick told Paul Cantor this about the J-Rock Warner fallout. He said, I was just focusing all in at the same time working on my craft, working on my penmanship, soaking it all in. Looking at this situation and seeing how these labels go and how these CEOs and music execs work, just soaking in the business side and really seeing it's a cutthroat business. At the end of the day, you got to go for yourself and do what's really true to you and not let anybody come and corrupt your shit. The industry is fucked up. Nobody knows what they want. It was an experience for him, but far more so for me too, just looking at it from being under him. But the grind was obviously still on, you know, as Kendrick and J-Rop dropped a steady stream of music during the mid-2000s, they began expanding into other areas of hip-hop they would have to master to make it to the next level. The biggest break was being associated with the game. Now, Kendrick told Paul Cantor this, I was on the game's mixtape. I forgot the title of what it was. Of course, game was on a scale that he was at the time, and me jumping on his tape was quite the exposure. After that is when I dropped Training Day. 
There's a lot of attention coming my way. That's through Dude Dog, Street Tires, The City Is Small, Compton, Watts, Dude Dog, He's From Watts, Game From Compton. They was affiliated from the streets. I'm from Compton as well. It's only right around the corner we meet. I was on his LAX tour when he had it. That was my first experience on tour, just getting a taste of what's to come. And Kendrick actually points to that LAX tour as further motivation. Still only 2008, just four years after he dropped his debut project, but he's still four years away from Good Kid Mad City. And thus far, you know, thus far we have the Def Jam deal, we have Top Studio, we have the Warner deal, we have Performing With Game. All of these are enough to keep that fire lit underneath Kendrick, but none of them have the match to spark the powder keg yet. He's still just bubbling away right mm. now. And a lot of people don't know that this grind and this come up was massive. You know, it was a full eight years of hard work. And uh, these middle years are really difficult. They're really difficult. And then we get C4. And this is when things started to progress for Kendrick. And I, I have the feeling Charlie doesn't really like C4. And I'm not. <laughs> Why though? Is it just because it's, it's, it's C3 beats? Is that the reason? No. I don't hate Lil Wayne that much. Like it, it, there's there's some gems on here, um, but there when there when there's some oh God, there are some bad tracks on here, bro. There are some bad tracks. Um, just a note, there really are. Yeah. To be fair, I understand what you. There's some there's tracks, some tracks on here. Bro. What was he thinking? I'll get I'll, oh, I'll get days. to them because they're hilarious, and um, you know we're gonna gas Kendrick up for for for, for a while. So you know. We, I feel like we, you know we could knock him down a peg um, with, with these ones, um, but yeah, uh, just to say uh, the game mixtape is you know what it is, Volume Four Murder Game Chronicles, and the track is Cali Niggers featuring your boy K Dot, uh, J Rock Dub, Topic, and Eastwood. Um, so yeah, if you want to go spin that, go spin that uh, in your own time. Um, but yes, yeah, C four, C four. So. Obviously, uh, this is uh, if you haven't gathered quite yet. Um, if you definitely, if you definitely didn't gather by the track listing, um, this is a very just a one big homage to Lil Wayne. Um, he actually gets a cosign in the intro, um, and then he just goes on from there. Uh, Mr. Carter, obviously featuring Lil Wayne, uh, Millie, and then you have stuff like "Bitch, I'm in the clear," which is um, I forgot what interview it was. It may have been Big Boy actually. Big Boy. Um and uh, fucking shout out big boy best interviewer in the game that's a hot take <laughs> and i he's hilarious it's a hot bro. take but i don't know who's better cuz i legit i don't know who i would like oh yeah i'm going to watch every interview of that person i i literally don't know um but yeah anyway um but yeah it's the <laughs> if you want a if you want a very 2009 just ugh, track is it is 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 bitch. I'm in the club. Um, there's some there's some. Oh gosh, it's just it's just it's just bad. Uh, you know. Okay, what are these niggas hollering about? Catastrophic K dot. Bet I bring them dollars out. Talk that shit. Party mouth. Walk that shit. Pep stroke. Guarantee your girl gets sliced like Kimbo. Bitch, I'm in the club. Hobie's blowing Indo. Turned up, throwing signs to the seed and roof. Sipping on that hundred proof, and I'm dressed in Gucci too. And these hoes jockin' nigger, so I holler, what it do? Um, <laughs> it sounds average, like, reading it out, but mixed but, but mixed along with that, oh, that god-awful beat. Oh, gosh, it just it just does not. It, it ages, it is aged like milk, bro. It is, it is eight. What's the beat on that? Uh, you're the car guy. <laughs> you're the vain dude, man. <laughs> 
I don't know, Ru. I don't know, Ru. But um, yeah, just um, it's produced by playing skills, apparently, according to Genius. So take take that information, take that information how you feel. But um, yeah, um, you know the rest of the the rest of the um, there, there's some there's some doo doo tracks still. Um, well, well, I forgot what the one is with uh, Absol, take your pants off, something like that. Um, that they ain't they ain't they ain't good. That they ain't good, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so yeah, I I feel like quality wise, it's just a step down from something like Training Day. Um, compared, I'd rather listen to Training Day than you know Earth than all of these at the at this point. Um, but yeah, if you if you like Lil Wayne and you like Kendrick Lamar, this might be a good shout for you. But I just want to just a fair warning, you know, some of the some of the beats, some of the bars are a little bit outdated, you know, as you can imagine. So, yeah, just a fair warning on that front. It's not my favorite mixtape any all time, but yes, it's it's there. And like you said, it kind of sets him up for um, the, the come up, uh, which is pretty much what Hobie dedicated is just that rocket ship, I feel. Hmm. Look, I like this tape, but I, I fully agree with you. There's some trash <laughs> on here. There's some tracks that some garbage, I'm some like, garbage oh, on. no. Yeah, there were some tracks on here. So, obviously, 09, 09, C4 picked up that vital Lil Wayne co-sign. There's a legendary video in 2009 of uh, Kendrick rapping in a cypher with Charles Hamilton. If you know anything at all about 2009, then you know Charles Hamilton. But it still wasn't happening yet, okay? He wasn't, like, he was getting these co-signs. He was on the LAX2, he was on the game tape, you know, but he still wasn't exploding. And there was one thing he did that he actually credits with changing his entire life and his career. And it was introducing the Kendrick Lamar that we know and love to the world. He stopped going by K-Dot and started going by Kendrick Lamar. And he told Hard Knock TV, when people heard the name K-Dot, they were like, this kid is dope, he can rap, but who is he? That went on for years. Just another kid in the street that can rap good, right? So I was like, you know what? I want people to know who I am as a person and what I represent. So we get the Kendrick Lamar EP released New Year's Eve 2009. This was the arrival of Kendrick Lamar, the person. We've got Absol, J-Rock, BJ the Chicago Kid, Schoolboy Q, Punch. And Kendrick told Paul Cantor in an interview just after the EP dropped, people was hearing me, but the response I was getting was, okay, he's just another kid that can put some good words together and get some lines off. I sat back one day and was like, damn, the thing is, I don't want to just be another typical rapper out there. Now, this is probably the most key part of this whole retrospective. Kendrick says... I want people to know me, my life, and know my story. That was the whole purpose of the Kendrick Lamar EP. When I went about recording it, I wanted to give people me. I don't think you can become a legend or be amongst the elite if people don't know who you are as a human being. Aside from touching the people, just the amount of legendary people reaching out and saying I have quality music. I was on Twitter one day. Q-Tip had posted up a record and told everyone to watch this kid. Recently, Ninth Wonder reached out. J. Cole, he hit me on the text and told me to keep pushing. I'm going to be amongst the, the elite. I appreciate that. So when he did that interview, this was pretty overly dedicated, that interview. Now, this was it, man. The label started to see Kendrick as the artist who was most likely to drive them into the stratosphere. With that partnership deal J-Rock had with Strange Music, it opened up a brand new avenue for Kendrick to tour with Tech 9 Now, this was the independent grind tour of 2010. Tech played a staggering 139 shows that year. I think I read somewhere at one point they played like 43 shows in 47 days or something insane. Wow. E-40 was on that bill too. Now, Complex did a whole story on it via Sean Satara, who's a, definitely a friend of the show. 
Now, Sean Sotaro identifies Richie Abbott, who was working with Warner when J-Rock was signed. He actually said, it was bitch I'm in the club that made him a fan of Kendrick. Richie Abbott said, bitch I'm in the club made him a fan of Kendrick, which is fucking wild. Absolutely wild. Now, Abbott said, and I quote, I was like, when he heard this song, I was like, is that UK Dot? He was like, yeah. He kept smiling and smiling. That's when I started to become a fan of his right there. And then things started to go south not long after that, and that's in regards to the Warner deal. Now, after the Warner deal died with, with uh, J-Rock, Abbott became pivotal. He connected TDE with his friends at Strange Music, and they decided J-Rock had to go on tour before he dropped his debut album because J-Rock's debut album came out as a partnership between TDE and Strange Music. Now, when J-Rock was up on stage, Kendrick Lamar was still his hype man. This was 2010. Still his hype man. He was allowed one solo song to perform every night, and he always performed I Do This. Now, Tech and Chris Calico described Kendrick as quiet and observant, but that he was ultra hungry. He would go up to E-40's hotel room and record with him, hang around the show setup, voraciously watch every performer, go to meet and greets. Chris Calico said this. He said... Kendrick learned to write music and to actually perform. You have to be able to write songs that people can sing along with. And if you notice, his choruses are stuff that you can sing with. I think he learned how to perform and how to have that stage presence. Just being on stage is not enough. You have to have this certain it factor. And I think he learned that from us. Bro, when you watch that um, Super Bowl performance, the whole energy of the... the uh, I, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever seen Kendrick, even if you've seen him on a video performing live, you know exactly what I mean. The whole energy, like there's just this this vibe that he has. This fucking electric live performer. Now, E-40 said this. He was watching those performances, looking at the stage props, just keeping his ear to the soil, watching everything, being an observer, being a spectator, a student. Fuck, I love when E-40 speaks. <laughs> I love E-40 so much. Now, 2010 is when shit started to happen. It really started to happen, and it started with Overly Dedicated. Now, funny enough, I, I bitch about C4, which I did not... I, I, I went light, honestly. <laughs> I was just like looking up other 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 lyrics while you were while you were talking. Oh my gosh, there's so bad shit in there. Um, but you know, that was the same year as the Kendrick Lamar EP, which I feel is the big... Like, the, the, the real just like flashpoint for me personally in his artistic journey where he just go where he just clicks in and finds that niche and uh and uh, just, uh, bro just like second verse of this first track uh, is it love right <clears throat> give me rings give me chains main give me blue bends red porsche red range give me black bitches white hose new clothes a mansion with marble floors and security codes and give me some land or maybe a, i'll land a g5 clear port say hello to the man give me awards grammys and let the crowd applaud my name uh till they strain the veins of their vocal cords give me the fame of fortune me and trump on golf courses Ugh. yeah there, there's a couple of mentions of trump in this ep by the way uh with that <laughs> Yeah, everyone mentions Trump, and we just got to gloss yeah. over it. Same as the historical historical context. A lot time, of people, a lot of rappers mentioned Trump back in the day. All right, it's, yeah, he, he really time. he really was like the guy that people look at, like black capitalists were looking at. It's it's weird now, but it is what it is. 
Um, yeah, with that being said, give me Tiger Sports endorsements. Give me billboards, whatever that people kill for. Manhattan and 4040, no 40s, but port rose, rose poured. Give me vanity. Give me Kirk Cobain sanity. Give me a city where Channel 7 Newcastle's cameras be. Give me horror like Amity. No, give me the chance. And if you ever renege, I'll still give you Kendrick Lamar. This is me. And that's love. It's just like he really sets a tone um, on this EP, uh, on this EP, which um, is kind of, um, I think, one of like, you know, um, I would say, <clears throat> I, d I don't know when, I don't know, I'm trying to like think ahead and like, when does he change this kind of uh, mindset? But throughout this EP, there's a lot of, um, you know, mentions of that kind of thing where it's like the stuff that, you know, me, me and Ben, you know, feel like I shouldn't care too much about, like, you know, red Porsches, red Rangers, like, give me, you know, give me Grammys, give me adulation, stuff like that, right? Um, there's a track here called Vanity Slaves, um, <clears throat> which is very fascinating. Um, um, talks about, you know, uh, uh, African uh, Americans, how and, and how their image, you know, kind of gets messed up, and it, it's, it's a very, it's a long, it's a long one, but it's a very interesting one. There's also a part, there's also a, a part two towards it with Gucci Mane somewhere as well. If you guys want to go spin that, uh, very fascinating uh, side on that. Um, but yeah, he goes. Uh, sometimes I hate to bear the truth. Sometimes I want to lie. Sometimes, sometimes I want to school the youth. Sometimes I want to ride. Sometimes I want to not think, sometimes I want to vibe, sometimes I want to bump tribe and zone out. This song's about a young boy that's gone wild inside. And it just goes, it just goes in. It just goes in. Um, amazing storytelling coming down here. <clears throat> 400 years of nothing, 400 years of suffering, 400 years of tears and tribulations, miseducation. See what we face in this now coming back to the roots. Remember whips on our back. And if we uh, if we would run, they would shoot, call us niggers, and f and figure that we never live in pursuit of happiness. We capture these feelings in uh, things we do. Thought of abstinence of slavery, slavery, but we made it to come about a perspective. My shoe collection, my shoe selection, gotta be Louis. A handbag gotta be Gucci. <laughs> it's fake. Then she fooled me. It, it just it it just like uh, I don't know. It it just it starts off like a very fascinating like storytelling. Then it kind of goes back to what I was talking about. Where it's like you know kind of just like black capitalist kind of vibe. Um, and then it finishes off uh, with uh, Determined, which is a really good track. I I love this track. Um, it's probably one of my favorite of the two. Um, uh, with that in celebration. Um, but yeah, you guys. Uh, where where where's? I mean, it's literally a whole thing. Um. Oh, uh, here we go. Yeah, so, so welcome to the story of my life. See, I'm trying to get right off the shit that I write. Make a fortune, buy some Porsches for my mama and my wife. Pops engine in this old school run tight. But as you listen to KDOT, and obviously this, this you can you can see the reference in the in in how I'm gonna say this one. So, but as you listen to the KDOT, man, me and my girl spit the bucket of KFC. She listened to Drake, and all I can say is, damn, these niggas are much better than me, baby. I don't think this is meant to be, because I'm always losing self-esteem. She paused the iPhone and said, huh, I repeated what I said, and she replied, shut up. Um, so, yeah, and then he goes into, like, a, don't be a typical artist, be more like Jay, Russell, Barry, Gordy, uh, Quincy, it's Barry Gordy, by the way, genius. Quincy, Jones, Bob, Johnson, Sean, Combs, L.A. Reed, young black entrepreneurs did did what it took to succeed and yeah it's, it's a lot of black capitalism in that but obviously that kind of references the uh the, the middle bit references the uh uh, 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 uh the Con oh, is, is it kanye it is kanye in it um from touch the sky yeah it's, it's kanye touch the sky yeah so yeah 
I haven't, I haven't spun that in a minute. It's a good track. I should, I should get on that again. But anyway, um, yeah. So you know, the EP's like very fascinating. He kind of just like goes into this like, um, you know, I want, I want this, I want that, and um, it is a very interesting EP. Um, in especially in context towards everything else that comes off afterwards. Um, and uh, again, this is the same. This is in the same like couple of years of you know something boo boo like C four, but then something you know very interesting conceptually like overly dedicated um they were within two years of each other it's very fascinating yeah it's fascinating it really is i mean that kendrick lamar ep is is when it happened it's when it began to happen overly dedicated comes out and you know september 14 2010 kendrick's first ever tastes of billboard charts as a lead artist 72 on the r&b hip-hop albums chart things are starting to catch fire at this point J-Rock is a double XL freshman with a charting single. Exchange Music Tour is kicking off. The blogs are starting to warm up to Kendrick Lamar. Top Dog explains some words he told his fledgling label around this time, and this comes via Billboard. He said, I sat down with everybody and said, it's time to go hard. Fuck chasing these labels. We're going to make these labels chase us. Now here's what Kendrick said right at the release of Overly Dedicated. I sat in the meetings with Top Dog and the whole Top Dog administration, and from the jump, I never wanted to put the shit on iTunes. I felt it was limiting the spread of the music. At the end of the day, I want to keep building more followers and more believers, just giving music out for free. I could care less about recouping a few dollars off it. The higher powers and majority ruled over me. The actual outcome was positive, and he said in another interview that uh, I think Big Boy Big might boy. have asked him how difficult it was. It might have been someone else how difficult it was to transition from free music to paid music. And Kendrick said it was easy. People wanted to support him. People were, you know, swept up. And obviously the video I just dropped, I talk about human connection. And Kendrick realized this way back at the Kendrick Lamar EP. He knew that the way that he could build this following, this dedicated following, was by giving more of himself. Now, Kendrick credits his consistency with the commercial success of this project but it's super easy to see why. The Kendrick Lamar EP was the announcement. Overly dedicated is the arrival. You know, Janae Aiko's on here. This is when Kendrick really begins to inhabit his storytelling personas. I love the rhetoric around this project. Obviously, the strange music uh, connection was bearing fruit. But Kendrick was grinding outside of just that connection. He was on tracks with Corrupt, Terrace Martin, Freeway Currency, Mickey Fax, Chino XL, Wiz Khalifa in 2010. You know, that Purp and Yellow with Wiz, The Game, and Snoop. Uh, YG was on that track as well, which was an LA Leakers drop. And this is insane, man. This this is the year. 2010 is the fucking year. But it still, it still wasn't it yet. Like, there still needed something else. I'll get to it in a second. But his goal with this tape was to give him more of himself. And 2011 is the year that it all happened for Kendrick, man. The feature bag is starting to get a little bit different. You know, Janae Aiko, Consequence, DJ K Slay, Tech 9 Ninth Wonder, Warren G, Drake, yes, Drake, Rhapsody, Sci-High, Terrace Martin, but the biggest thing ever, Ignorance is Bliss. Dr. Dre found that track on fucking YouTube and reached out to Kendrick, and that's the moment, bro. That's the fucking moment. How epic is that moment? Totally full circle. Full circle from when Kendrick was, what, eight years old, seeing California Love being shot in his in his area, in his neighborhood. And it's Dr. Dre, unprompted. Kendrick didn't, didn't rock up to Dr. Dre's house and shuffle him his mixtape. Dr. Dre found Kendrick Lamar on YouTube and reached out from being... Like, this is, ins- it's it's just crazy. Kendrick told Howard Stern about this. He says, me and my boy Ali were eating at Chili's. 
I'll never forget it. Uh, we got a call like, yo, Dr. Dre likes your music. And he was like, yo, who the fuck is this on the phone? Get out of here, man. We hung up. Now, I want to do, on a side note, I want to do an episode on the amount of times rappers hung up on legends when they had no, like someone called them and they're like, no, I can't really be Jay-Z or no, this can't really be Dr. Dre or this can't really be Eazy-E. And they hung the phone up and they had to be called back. Now, there's a lot of times I've heard that story. I really want to go down that path. But anyway, Kendrick continues. He says, we hung up. We might have blown it. Another call came in from somebody else. Then another call came in from somebody else. Like, yo, they're trying to reach out and figure who you're with. The first time was a moment I knew I'd arrived because I'm not meeting him. It's not an introduction. He plays a beat and says right to it. I want to see. I want to see if this is really you. This is the moment where all the points align. Kendrick was always reclusive. You know, he was never the center of attention. Observation and consistency are the key takeaways from this come up. He observes and analyzes and through his life experiences, his subject matter was ready made. It must also be said that during the early 2010s, before Good Kid Mad City dropped, Kendrick had this concept. You know, he speaks on it often, the concept of how a city can turn a good kid, the ethics the kid might lose through no fault of his own, how someone innocent can survive in the midst of ultimate turmoil. And Kendrick was ready, man. He'd been preparing his whole life. You hear about Jay-Z saying that Reasonable Doubt is the album it took his whole life to create. That's what Good Kid Mad City is. And he says, Kendrick says, I wasn't nervous at all. I was more excited because I knew this was my shot. Everything that I've worked for, everything that I've built up to came to that moment. And he just needed that spark. And Dr. Dre fighting ignorance is bliss. That's the rocket fuel, not just for Kendrick, but for TDE. Top told Billboard, going with Dr. Dre at Aftermath slash Interscope was a plus because we all love Dre. Kendrick remembers Dre from when he was hanging out on his daddy's neck. He comes from what we come from. To be able to walk out in his backyard and see the whole fucking world, point to your neighborhood, that's inspiration. And he's like, Top, you can have all this. He never tried to interfere with what we do. He said, you came in winning. Do what you do. Now, the grind was still in session, obviously. You know, Kendrick tagged along on Drake's Club Paradise tour. That's how he ended up on Take Care. You know, I guess we, we can't also discount J. Cole's role in this. Uh, Cole claimed in an interview... High power, yeah. Say sorry? High power, yeah. Yeah, high power, but also what I'm about to say is crazy. Cole claimed in an interview with Nardwa that he was the one who put Dr. Dre onto Kendrick. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that, that has that meme in it. He asked question. He's like, where'd you get that information? Mm. Now, Cole said... Top two me. Cole said, the answer is yes, I did. I'm not going to say I was the first to tell him. I was like, yo, you got to sign this kid from Compton. We know that J. Cole wanted to sign Kendrick himself. Uh, and yeah, man, look, I, I just find that fascinating. Double XL Freshman, 2011, one of the most legendary Double XL ciphers ever. Yellow Wolf, Cy High, Lil B, Kendrick Lamar. Lil B up there with his pants around his ankles, just lyrically rinsing. Kendrick up there running his chain through his fingers. Bro, this, I, I'm... I don't know, like this journey that to get to this point, uh, I don't know, I'm feeling things, it's emotional. It's just like seeing what he went through and how hard he worked and, and how it got to this point and, and knowing where he is right now. Bro, no one should ever say that Kendrick just arrived at, at you know, Good Kid Mad City, the, the grind, the grind. And the thing about it is that I said right at the end of this piece is... Every year there was a there was something that motivated him to keep going. There was one or two things every year. I think I wrote it down here somewhere because I thought we were going to talk about um, 
I thought we were going to talk about uh, Section 80, but obviously we're going to do that next week. Um, but yeah, like, you know, here it is. Uh, almost every, I, I wrote this down, almost every year Kendrick had something that propped him up and carried him through. He had Def Jam in 2004, TDE signing in 2005, J-Rock's label situation in 2006, connecting with the game in 2007, the Little Wayne stuff in late 08, Black Hippie forming in 2009 after Little Wayne co-sign. 2010, you know, that's when it starts to increase in, in scope, you know, just as soon as Dre jumps in, that's it, man, that's it. And the story kind of sounds major label-like after that, and that's what we're going to get to next week. Um, I just wanted to leave that as a little teaser, but yeah, uh, it's crazy, crazy, crazy story, man. Yeah, um, so I'll finish with a couple of recommendations that aren't actually on any of the mixtapes you can find on that Piff Weber, but I feel like they are very uh, worthy songs you should spin uh, from Kendrick Lamar's just like pre, uh, pre-label shit. <laughs> Um, so Kendrick Lamar literally called Kendrick Lamar like that's what the track's called uh, definitely worth a spin um, I feel like that uh, I actually referenced it this, at the beginning uh, as the uh, intro um, and it's very interesting uh, because uh, of just how uh, defined it is of what it's supposed to be it's like I'm not Kato anymore like, I'm Kendrick Lamar and, like, and it just goes in it's really good and it actually helps on the uh, uh, the B, uh, the Erica Bardu out of the side of the game, um, which is a uh, top tier, top tier beat. Um, uh, Beyonce, hilarious track, one of the funniest tracks. Um, he literally uh, just spends the whole, like, it starts off with this um, on the first verse, right? <laughs> you wore braids with a banging body. Uh, look like you did Pilates, uh, Pilates, uh, a lot of sit-ups probably, but bump that, I was hit there from the start, even when the toy Lucky and the other doo-doo bucket broke your heart. <laughs> Hope you didn't cry, because honestly, they were just so-so, they couldn't see you anyway, you deserve to go solo. No disrespect to Kelly and Michelle, I'm just saying they cool, but you, you're something like Wonder Woman. Uh, and I just want to hold your hand, bring you to Compton, Gonzalez Park, we can build castles in the sand. <laughs> Eat hot Cheetos with pickle juice in it. Put that napkin down. You know I'll lick your fingers when you're finished. <laughs> it's so childish but so great. And it's the second verse, which is even better. I just bought this, uh, the Sasha Fear CD. Gaze at the cover for a whole five minutes till my girlfriend hit me. She jealous of you because I don't because uh, I don't love her like I love you. I even make her do the uh 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 just like you do. She tell me I'm obsessed. I tell her we connect like Ice Cube way before the Mac 10 feud. She's like, you goddamn fool. That girl's rich and you're broke. I said, so I'm only 500 mil away. There's still hope. (laughs) Anyway, I had feelings even way before you got paid. I didn't laugh uh, when you bust your ass on the stage. And I salute Kanye for talking up for you. I would have stole the award just to prove that I love you. But Jay shouldn't have did that. Uh, but Jay should have did that. I thought he had your bizak. What happened to Mr. Izzo, Hapiko, Frederico? He used to be my favourite till he abandoned my diva. Now I told everybody Nas killed him on Ether. It's, it's hilarious. And then the third verse, he kind of just plots on breaking them up, which is absolutely banging. Um, Compton State of Mind, uh, which um, goes off um, New York State of Mind. It's really good. Young Boys World, powerful track. Uh, World Negatives, uh, Last Real Nigger Alive, that's like nearly seven minutes, absolute banger, absolute movie. 
Dreams. I talked about dreams. Uh, My people with J Rock, really good track. The Heart Part Three, of course. Um, I'm sure most people have spun all the hearts by now. Uh, The West Side, right on time. Compton's finest. Thank you, which is literally like um, uh, it's literally a thank you, Dr. Dre kind of thing. It's like really good homage to Dr. Dre. And then there's a track called Look Out for Detox as well. (laughs) So, uh, Blow Them Horns. I think that's on the. I think that's on one of the mixtapes. I might have been training day. uh rare breed really nice bouncy track malcolm x uh the rel- uh, the thanksgiving remix uh much better than the uh, original uh thanksgiving i i feel um and yeah man there's just some really really great stuff on here uh really great stuff everywhere just um not even on the uh on the mixtapes or anything but there's just so much great stuff his pain with bj chicago kid it's just, it's just some really great stuff pray for me with ransom Ransom, of course, yeah. I don't think you mentioned Ransom as a as a feature, but yeah, he, he was there as well. So yeah, man. There's just some. There's there's so much. Like the point of this episode in particular was just like, you know, just to show that, you know, it took a it it took a while. <laughs> it took a while for Kendrick to get where he is. Uh, you know, like many other people, of course. You know, I feel like um, there's there should be a documentary one day on just like this particular era of rap. Um, where you know you have like the likes of Kendrick, uh, J. Cole, Mac, Wiz, uh, Cube, J. Rock, right? All of these people in the blog era and the MySpace era. I feel like there should be a documentary just covering those guys because a lot of them, you know, just you know, worked on each other's stuff as well. And there's a lot of meshing, and a lot of the DJs like DJ Ill Will was on, you know, several mixtapes uh, for for a lot of those people. So. I just feel like there's a documentary somewhere, like in in there, in all that history, a lot of oral history right there. Just to, it can definitely be taken out. I think Kendrick is definitely part of that, and um, considering where he's at, obviously, you know, on top um, on that front. But yeah, man, just a really fascinating, just um, first first part for sure. <clears throat> oh gosh, we've already gone ninety minutes, <laughs> pretty much. But do you have a line? if you if you have anything. Happy birthday, man. Happy birthday, Charlie. Happy birthday to you. Do you want me to play Ratchet Happy Birthday by Drake? Rather not. (laughs) Uh, Can if you you want, but I'll have to mute it. It's your motherfucking birthday. (laughs) But yes, it was my birthday on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Last Well, last Thursday now. The episode's going to drop on Tuesday. So yes, it was. Um, So... But yeah, man, it's been a yeah, it's been a week. <laughs> it's been a week. It's been a life. But, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't really have much to reflect on, to be honest. I feel like I've um, I was kind of in like a crap mood for like uh, the day before and kind of during the day, um, but <clears throat> kind of just um, yeah, I kind of just uh, made found found stuff to do um after that the day off days after anyway and just doing stuff so. Yeah, man. You know, I kept busy on that front um, as much as I feel like to. Um, I don't really celebrate birthdays much. I think I've talked about that before. Mm. Um, but yeah, man. Twenty six. I'm out. Of the, I'm out of the young age bracket now. <laughs> Officially. Yeah, you're middle aged now. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty you need much. Need to have so. your quarter life crisis. What are you gonna do for your quarter life crisis? Buy a saxophone, probably. Oh yeah. Yeah, I want a saxophone. 
sounds sick. I don't even count that as a cool life crisis. I've been wanting a saxophone for years, but yeah, that's probably the next like, like uh, just random purchase I'm gonna make. I'm just gonna I'm gonna buy a saxophone. So that'd be sick. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I just want to recreate shit and like you know just make riffs and stuff like that. So yeah, I just want to learn an instrument as well. So. And I feel like a saxophone's a good place for that because I didn't really get the opportunity to learn much like back in the day. Mm. Like you know, apart from like the keyboard and recorder, like yeah. But yeah, yeah, I played the uh, played the trumpet in school. That's cool. It was not cool. That's the thing. It was not cool at all. It was <laughs> it was terribly lame, and it, you had to keep opening the spit valve, and that is fucking filth. Especially yeah, that's if you're that in, side of the game is a bit in you. You're in the school band, and you know that three other grades have already used it prior to your using it that oh, day no. and you open up the oh, old spit valve not sharing them and there's just a, a, a myriad of dna's coursing through the trumpet that you're now putting your lips on it is a very unpleasant experience oh that's so good that's so gammy <laughs> that is so gammy oh you can't share it no, oh. don't want to oh this was okay. pre-COVID, right. guys. This is this is back in the <laughs> this is back in the, the bad old days. <laughs> oh gosh, just imagine. Oof. Oh gosh, man, that's crazy. Uh, that's disgusting. Yeah. That's that's objectively good. <laughs> okay, I mean, would you would you pick it up again? Or? No, not the trumpet. The trumpet's lame. The thing is, man, I can't. I trumpet's fine. Nah, not compared to instrument. not compared to the sax. I mean, look, brass is oh, the sax. The, I mean, there's a reason why it's called the sax, right? It's, it's one letter, one letter off. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, it's very. And it was made by a guy called Adolf Sax. But let's not let's not get past let's get past that. Very cool instrument. Very cool instrument. The sax, the trumpet, not so cool. I mean, there's some great trumpeters, but like you know, I feel like when is jazz yeah. gonna have its revival, man? No, don't look at me like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the mainstream. I'm talking about in the fucking mainstream. Because, yes, we both know, and we spoke about this a couple of episodes ago of all the great jazz trios that are now popping up in 2022 and in the last two or three years. There's always been great jazz music. There always will be great jazz music. But why the fuck is it not getting... Because rock is having its revival right now. Rock is... You know, a few years ago, we were like, rock is is fucking dead. But now rock's starting to hit the charts again. There was a point when I did an analysis that Drake had outcharted rock by himself for the entire last decade. That's insane. That is insane. When's jazz coming back? It deserves to come back. I don't understand where the fuck jazz is not, you know. Like I listened to I was listening to Unity and Troy the other day. I'm just like, bro, this needs to come the fuck back immediately. Well, here's the thing. When it comes to jazz and comparing it to something like, uh, to like rock, um, you know, jazz never had that crossover appeal, I think. Obviously, when jazz was the main thing, then it was the main, excuse me, the main thing. And it was, you know, and, uh, you know, back in the Miles Davis days, it was based on, in my mind, I feel like, you know, more about the personalities and the names. But now it's, um, you know, obviously, I just think jazz is too. Nah, man. Like I don't know bro, how to word it, Bruce but it, it can't be. Com- has, it can't be compromised. Bruce Springsteen bro. has his, had his own sax player. Like, bro, sax was a. That like, jazz was massive in rock music in the late that late eighties and early nineties. It was. It crossed over. It did cross over. It just. I don't, I don't understand. Like. Mm. 
Yeah. I, I, just, I just don't think it... Um, and this is, you know, I, I I enjoy it, but, you know, I don't see my... I can't see my mum spinning, spinning something like Dubai Garcia's uh, sauce. I can't I can't imagine her spinning that. I can't imagine... I can imagine her spinning Bon Jovi, but I can't imagine her spinning that. I can imagine her spinning, you know... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a rock band now, but like you know, I feel like rock has Ramstein has had that you know <laughs> has had that mainstream appeal, right? And you know that, that's why I wasn't really tripping when people like Rock is dead. I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, yeah, we'll right. come back. You, you, you guys will find it again. Trust me. Um, you know, people are going back to emo phases and you know, like listening to Paramore again and stuff like that. And you know, I know people doing Paramore that. was always cool. You know? but... Yeah, I'm not, yeah, being on it. Evanescence. Um, if people yeah, go back know? to Evanescence, then you know it's fucking over. You're like, oh shit, we're back. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, you know, I just don't. I, I've, and also on the jazz front, I feel like there's been a lot of, um, uh, you know, the, not just the legends are dying, but also there was kind of just like um, something just replaced it. You know what I mean? Before, before, after jazz, it was kind of like you know disco and. Then it was R and B, and then you know that kind of overlapped disco, and then disco kind of melded into hip hop and stuff like that. And then disco died, and then R and B and hip hop was the thing. And you know, jazz has always been there. You know, we well, <laughs> you know, we've we talked about that before, and I've talked about that with many albums that have come out in the past few years. Um, I say UK jazz is making a making a making a wave. I feel personally, um, I think we talked about that on on, on a bias episode. So yeah, I I do think it's there, but you know, answering your question, I just don't think jazz in its you know purest essence of people actually performing it, um, uh, in the way they want to perform it, uh, you know, people don't want to spin that in the same way people you know in the same way opera exists, but you know, not everyone wants to spin opera in the same way classical music still exists, but you know, in in the sense in that sense, but you know, not everyone it's not going to chart top forty. Um, so it is what it is, bro. It, it really is what it is on that front. Like, you know, if you, if you love jazz, you love jazz. If you love classical music, you love classical music. It's just one of those genres that aren't gonna compromise, I feel can be compromised, um, by, you know, just like mainstream label shenanigans. Um, meanwhile, something like, you know, rock can, and, you know, stuff like, you know, for people like idols that are very anti-establishment, that's always going to be cool. Um, that stuff's always going to be cool. There's always going to be people vibing with that. Um, but then you also have your Maroon Fives. So, <laughs> so you know what I mean. So you know, rock, rock has rock has its spectrum. And uh, I don't think very relax. <laughs> they got. They don't I'm have guitarists. They have Fruity Loops guitar packs. There's no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. I was waiting for that reaction. Triggered. triggered. Oh, super triggered. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Next you'll be talking about train. Like, oh, your train there, bro. <laughs> Fucking rough school. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> we shall leave it there, ladies and gentlemen. On the Fifth End Podcast Network, this has been Digging Digits. So if you've enjoyed this episode, I've been trying to take the Fifth End. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Part two of our Kendrick exploration will uh, continue with his uh, album run uh, from Section A up to Damn. And uh, yeah, until then, I hope you all have a good week. Wish you always try and do the same. I'm going to listen to some Maroon 5. <laughs> I'm joking. I'll have a great day, bro. <laughs> I'm not, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to some PJ fucking Morton because oh, yeah. that shit right there. I can't believe he was part of Maroon 5. That still blows my mind. Like, like why, why, like, PJ Morton, I didn't even know that. genius. 
part of Maroon 5. Did not know that. He settled. He settled heavy on that anyway. Hope you all have a good week, which I was trying to do the same, but until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging in the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is piece of video games, my bonus points. Thanks to Chill Breakers for the ability to use. Socials for the fifth element, hip hop button numbers, bonus points to Chill Breakers will be in the full show notes, as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a fifth element podcast over production. Thanks for spending time with us. Wish I see you for part two on Digging in the Digits.